Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the MTG Goldfish Podcast, episode 76, a special July 4th uh, episode. We wanted to make sure we're all dedicated and bring you guys, uh, bring you all another cast. Um, here we are. So the crew is here with you as always. Chaz, accompanied by Richard and Seth. Richard, how are you? Hey, what's up, guys? What is up, Seth? How's it going? Oh, doing pretty well. How are you guys? Doing well, doing well. More spoiler hype. So uh, the the docket on this cast is a ton of fish mail. Uh, like always, uh, we're going to get through all your questions. We're going to answer them as concisely. And uh, since there's a lot of them in particular this time, as quickly as possible. So we want to at least get through all of them. Uh, and fit them all in with a bunch of spoilers that we also want to talk about. So, uh, big things. We got a ton of stuff, uh, not only from just today in particular on July 4th, but over the last few days that we didn't get to talk to. So, we made a, a concise list of the particular cards that we wanted to talk to, or talk about, rather. And uh, I guess before we get into the individual cards, um, I guess it's a good time to uh, just get both of your reactions, everyone's reactions. We're about 70... 71 cards in out of 205 and i just want to get your your thoughts so far after another few days and of course today's uh big spoilers out of eldritch moon so richard what do you think so far uh so liliana aside who's a bit of a question mark i i think the cards in this set are of an absurd power level like we're seeing some really powerful cards and it's gonna be a very interesting standard i i don't think people are gonna complain about Oh, there are no modern playables, or oh, these cards are too weak. Uh, I think we've we we got some really strong cards. So it'll be interesting to see what the rest of the set looks like and what standard will become with these new cards. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Seth, just a general general thought on the last few days of uh, spoilers. Uh, I agree with Richard. The set we had kind of compared it to New Phyrexia a while ago, in that yep. we were going to see corrupted versions of things and. That was more true than we realized. New Phyrexia is one of the most powerful sets they've printed in the Mythic era, at least. And this set seems to be following that trend. Like Richard said, there's a lot of extremely good cards. I still, It still feels weird to me that this set feels a little bit like Rise, to the Eldrazi, Rise of the Eldrazi Part 3 or Part 4 instead of actual Innistrad. But as far as the cards themselves, they're super good, and I can't wait to start brewing with them. Yeah, I- I'm going to agree with both of you here, and um, I don't know if you both agree, but it definitely, like, when we talked about that uh, beforehand, the last few casts, that, like, it'll probably be some kind of grotesque mutations of the denizens of Innistrad. I definitely feel like that's more tolerable now that we've seen we're, we're kind of more deep into it than just a bunch of like Eldrazi's for no reason. Like, yes, there are Eldrazi's, but I think they integrated it and kind of presented it in a way that everyone can kind of stomach that even after two sets of like, here's a bunch of Eldrazi's in both sets. And like, just here you go because we're getting a really good mix. Like, uh, we're going to talk about uh, a few of them in a second, but like we're just getting like all these interesting cards, new takes on old cards, uh, interesting commander cards. We're getting like a plethora of all these different kinds of stuff, and I think Richard kind of nailed it on the head. Like the power level seems pretty high. Uh, standard obviously will get affected by uh, a, a bunch of this stuff, and likely maybe some modern too. So we got a lot of powerful stuff, and I I'm fully enjoying myself thus far. 
So should we hop right into spoilers? Yeah, let's just yeah, let's just go right into the spoilers. So let's let's talk about one of the most hyped cards people are already saying it's going to be banned in modern <laughs> before we've even touched it. But uh, Eldritch Evolution, one green green sorcery as an additional cost to cast Eldritch Evolution, sacrifice a creature. Search your library for a creature with converted mana cost X or less, where X is two plus a sacrifice creature's converted mana cost. Put that card into the battlefield, shuffle your library, exile Eldritch Evolution. So, fixed natural order slash green sun zenith, birthing pod, something, green tutor, <laughs> yeah. cheat stuff into play. Uh, will, will modern be ruined by the Eldrazi again? I don't know right this second, and I don't even know if some of the stuff that people have been putting up, uh, I know yourself, Seth, uh, with the Allosaurus Rider into <laughs> Grizzlebrand or something like that, shenanigans, but it, it seems like one of those cars that can get really crazy really fast, and I don't know if a Swift ban needs to happen without even playing the card. Like, I don't know how long they need to uh, like look after this card before they do something about it, but it seems really strong. So for those of us not versed with Cold Snap janky cards, I think it was. Uh, what, what is the Allosaurus combo? So Allosaurus Rider is a 7 converted mana cost green creature that has an ability where instead of paying 7 for it, you can exile 2 green cards from your hand and cast it for free. So if you play a mana dork on turn 1, on turn 2 you can play this 7 converted mana cost Allosaurus Rider for free, Use your mana dork mana and tap two lands, cast your Eldric Evolution, and get any up to nine drop that you want, which would include Iona and Grizzlebrand, uh, tons of powerful stuff. So I think that's the most all-in thing you could do with this card. Uh, so that's kind of the combo people have been talking about. I was one of the people that popularized that, I think, talking about it on Twitter, <laughs> yes. but I also made it clear that I think that's more of an against-the-odds thing than a Tier 1 deck. You're spending a lot of resources to try to make this happen, and why I expect to try to play it sometime for fun. I would be surprised if that is what broke Eldric Evolution. What I'm afraid of is uh, the combos we already have. This is just such an efficient way to put together Malyra and Kitchen Fangs, Kitchen Fangs yeah. and Offenza, Revelark with who knows, like the... Uh, high, just there's so many combos that are already played. Uh, Archangel of Thune with Spike Feeder. It's just such an easy way to sack your kitchen things and get your second combo piece and win the game really efficiently. I think it might even be better than Collected Company when you're specifically trying to put together a combo because you don't have to overload your deck with creatures like you do with Collected Company. You don't need 30 creatures. You can play your combo and a few other creatures and play spells, and you get to pick that specific card out of your library instead of hoping you hit it with Collected Company. I think the the second part of that, like obviously there's an all-in kind of uh, really crazy stuff you can do if you go all-in with Eldritch Evolution. And I mean, who knows? I I've, at one point, people didn't really take Grizzlebrand, like, seriously. Like, oh, you're just, like, this is kind of all in. It's kind of janky. Like, oh, maybe get your Grizzlebrand out. And then, like, even I wasn't really too impressed with it. And then you realize, like, oh, that it can actually it actually works, like, more often than not. So I don't know what the implications of that is right now. It could work. It could be really good, potentially broken. Uh, or it could be, like, like you said, Seth, like, just a 
against the odds thing that you do at some point. Maybe it works, maybe it doesn't. But you nailed it. I mean, just on the surface, like if collected company decks are gonna are going to adopt this or even other decks for that matter, just the sheer amount of value that you get by assembling combo pieces, using kitchen things to get uh, five cost converted mana stuff or less. I think that's the real key thing here is that it's X or, or X plus two and less. So you really can get whatever you want. So I think that's really just the most powerful part of it. And it's almost like, do we somehow how like somehow down the line now get like the second part of a birthing pod, like split into two cards? Like, is that where they were going with this? Like we're going to, we banned birthing pod a long time ago. Here's collected company. And now like here's Eldritch moon. And we basically split birthing pod into like two cards. So <laughs> I don't know if they can both stay and not just completely be overpowered together. I'm not seeing like a scenario where you get collected company and Eldritch evolution and you just have so much value in in eight spells of the deck that, you know, how do you overcome that? It just seems way too good in a modern setting. And standard, still really good. I mean, I know you talked about uh, Bruna and Gisela and how you don't know if that'll actually be a thing. I mean, if you sack Gisela, you can almost get, like, work your way up to Bruna and then just get the combo back. So it's, like, kind of weird. It's like a toolbox kind of thing. I think it'll be really good in standard too, but obviously not as uh, egregious as it would be in modern. Yeah, so I agree with both of you guys. I think Wizards Wizards has shot themselves in the foot here. They've done the two most dangerous things in Magic, which is cheating mana and tutoring, and put it on the same card. So you guys talked about Magical Christmas Land. I'm just thinking, you know, like turn two or three Tassiger, turn four Eldritch Evolution into Gristlebrand. That's good enough. You don't need to go janky with Allosaurus Rider, right? Yep. You just go <laughs> Thought Scour into some Delve card and then Eldritch Evolution. So this seems like Treasure Cruise all over again, where they're like, oh, no one's going to get that many cards in the graveyard. This You're not going to reduce the cost that much. And then everyone was just running around with Ancestral Recall. I, I feel like this is actual, like, natural order. Uh, for the Malera combo, you can just get a Dryad Arbor. <laughs> And then Eldritch Evolution it away. So there are many, many ways to abuse this card. So while, you know, there, there's nothing like super obvious right now that, you know, here's the next deck or, you know, this is going to warp modern. I think this is very dangerous. You got two of the worst things you could do uh, in Magic, like on the same card. Yeah. The, the only thing it needed to do was like draw three cards or something, right? Like <laughs> it, it's got too many dangerous effects on it. So I suspect uh, they did not test much in modern or other <laughs> formats because basically any cheat mechanic gets amplified right anything that reduces mana such as delve uh things like eye of ugin and you know the the band fast land suddenly gets so much more value because you can kind of cheat twice and double dip uh, i i i know this sounds egregious but richard i think you kind of hit on it just the kind of pure value there and like with tazigar i mean there's there's just so much more that you can think about now that you're actually sitting down and analyzing it. And yeah, I think that was kind of missed. I didn't even, Tazigar didn't even come to mind right away. And I think you bring up a great point. Like that's even just good in a grizzle brand. There you go. Like that's just kind of crazy. Is it like better than natural order in modern just because it's not even green creatures. It's anything like that just seems the most egregious part to me. Not that it's like better than natural order, but in modern kind of seems like it's even better in that setting. 
Yeah, well, I mean, natural orders are straight up better. You can sacrifice a Dryad Arbor and get Emrakul or whatever, if Emrakul was green, right? So, uh, but this one has a bit of a restriction, but it's it's not that bad. Like, X plus 2 still gets you a lot. Uh, so you do need to actually play your Delve cards to kind of tutor anything. Uh, but I, I think it's it could be comparable to natural order. It, it is going to be just tutor up, combo piece, kill you, right? Tutor up too much value, you can't deal with it. Here, tutor up Iona. What are you going to do? Right? Are you playing a one-color deck? I'm sorry, you lose. I, I wrote about it in the article. I think it's a fixed natural order in the way that Wasteland is a, stri- a fixed strip mine. Like, it's one of those situations <laughs> yeah. where where they think it's fixed, but really the fixed version is still busted. Uh, but Richard, I want to ask you, you mentioned other formats. Legacy? Any chance? I don't know. Like, is there any sense in playing two fast lands, playing an Eldrazi, and El- Eldritch evolutioning into a bigger Eldrazi? I, I, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> like, I, that made me win more. Uh, we do have natural order for green decks already, so I guess you could somehow get a Gristlebrand into play if you really wanted to, but I, I don't know if it's worth it since we already have a lot of broken things to do in Legacy. But there's potential. It's powerful enough that the non-green restriction is what's going to be key for Legacy. Alright, let's talk about fixed old cards some more. We have Whispers of Emrakul. Uh, black card, one in a black. It's a sorcery. Target opponent discards a card at random. Delirium, target player discards two cards at random. So is this a fixed him to Torok, and is this any good? Well, I, I, I kind of know where we're all at on this. Uh, I, I think I I kind of got your a sense of what you were saying, Seth. Like it, I think we, we've we covered like Shadows over Nishrad now and, and now Eldritch Moon, and the whole thing was like how viable Delirium will actually be. I think, honestly... Again, this is just one of those cards that are how good is Delirium going to be? How quickly can you assemble Delirium before you start using cards like uh, Whispers of Emrakul? Obviously, it's a fixed uh, Hymn to Torok because Hymn to Torok is just insane. But, I mean, now that it's back in Standard and even in Modern in some sense, I'm kind of interested on in how this goes. People really don't like discarding cards at random, and it's not a ability people have seen for quite some time so uh to even just get like a a fraction of what uh hymnatorak does to uh players uh people are in for a big uh big disappointment and feel bad moment yeah i think the card is good but yeah I think uh, it's very limited compared to him to Turok. Him is a card that's just good in a black deck. If if him was legal and modern, it would be played in essentially any deck that could oh, yeah. reasonably cast it on turn two or turn three. This is more of a build around me, and you really got to... There's a deck building restriction. You really got to make sure you can achieve Delirium in a timely manner. Because if you're making your opponent discard one card at random, it's really not playable. But if you can turn it on consistently by turn three-ish, the card is very, very good. So I think there will probably be decks that can make it work, but it's not something you're just going to jam in Jund in Modern or in whatever white-black control and Standard. Uh, Just because you can, you really got to build around it. Right. Yeah, I absolutely. And and now I, I feel a little more confident with this card because... We don't just have like basically Mindrack Demon as the only viable card to achieve Delirium. Like now we we have like uh, 
Giralf and Gissa. We have like just other cards that are filling the graveyard, even the new Liliana. We'll talk about that in a second. I just feel at least a little bit better uh, about this if now that like we have that access to those cards where it's just like, well, Mindrag Demon's still like the only good creature to try and assemble Delirium and this kind of still is all right, but I, I just I feel a lot better about this card. And I'm pretty sure it's gonna see play, at least in standard. Likely modern too. I mean with Fetchlands, seems pretty easy. I'm gonna go opposite of Chaz and say completely unplayable. Oh <laughs> so so maybe standard. Uh if everyone's drilling around and holding Avacins and collected companies in their hand, uh maybe your turn eight whispers will do something and knock out two key cards. But when you play him to Torak, you definitely want to cast it on turn two, turn three. You definitely don't want to top deck it, right? You don't want to cast it on turn six, uh, which is probably the turn you're going to actually have Delirium, right? So it, it's just a really hard situation. And if you somehow did manage to turn on Delirium, you spent your first two turns turning on Delirium instead of actually progressing your board. So most of the time it's going to be discarded at random, which is not really playable in modern. Uh, you'd you know, you'd run Duress, Thoughtseize, Inquisition, you basically anything over this. Uh, in Standard, if we get dirtily enough and everyone's just sitting there with Avacins and Gisellas and stuff and just add a board lock, uh, you might do this. But again, it's just a really bad top deck, so I don't think you'd play it. But it might be sideboard tech or you might do something weird with it. You know, even if you could get Delirium online, I think it's going to be too late. Or it's, it's too much of an investment uh, to get Delirium online just to play this card. I, I kind of agree with you in some sense. I, I don't know. I guess I'll rescind. Like, it's not going to take over standard, but I, I'm more leaning towards what you're saying is more of like a role player, uh, if anything. The good news is it's one in a black, unlike yeah, the that is black nice. of Yeah, that is Torak. nice. Yeah. All right, so let's move on to the first Planeswalker we received. So from last week, uh, yep. Tamiyo makes an appearance. Field researcher, a very... Uh, a very mundane job title here <laughs> on uh, Innistrad. Uh, Bant colored, one green, white, and a blue. So four converted mana costs. Plus one. Choose up to two target creatures until your next turn. Whenever either of those creatures deals combat damage, you draw a card. Minus two. Tap up to two target non-land permanents. They don't untap during their controller's next untap step. Minus seven. Draw three cards. You get an emblem with you may cast non-land cards from your hand without paying their mana costs. Starting loyalty is four. So, just in case Omniscience doesn't win you the game, here's an <laughs> ancestral recall <laughs> for seven for your for your for your ultimate. I really like this card. I think it's good. It's probably on the surface. The better of the two Planeswalkers in this set. Uh, we will talk about Liliana in a second. Uh, but I, I think just face value, uh, Tamiyo, even though she's a field researcher, it feels like field researchers would be getting Tamiyo coffee. Like, she should be, like, the grand, like, I don't know, something more <laughs> epic than the field researcher. I don't know. Uh, but defends itself, does something good for the plus one, draws you cards. And the ultimate is just insane. So it is multicolor. So I know you're going to go there, Seth. <laughs> uh, but Nakiri was multi multicolor, and that seemed to work out. Bant's a little harder, but with uh, Oath of Nyssa in standard, I don't think it'll be that bad. So there is that. 
Uh, yeah, so I think that Tamio is extremely powerful. Almost, actually, all of her abilities are very yep. strong for their costs. My only concern, as Chaz predicted, is <laughs> I have been burnt by multicolor <laughs> and three-color planeswalkers before. I was a big fan of Sarkin Unbroken and ended up looking pretty silly, liking <laughs> that card. Uh, actually, if you look at recent multicolor planeswalkers in standard, Nahiri is definitely the exception to the rule when a lot of them, uh, Narset, the list is fairly long of the ones that didn't really live up to their expectations. That said, if you're going to be a three-color planeswalker in this standard, Bant is probably the perfect three-color combination to see play. Green and white backs are half of the format or more. Bant is actually like 20% uh, on its own. So there's plenty of homes for Tamio. And I think she's of a power level where she's going to be very strong and standard. In modern... You can always live the dream of a doubling season. She does have the right amount of loyalty where you can ultimate right away and keep her alive and get an omniscience. So <laughs> yeah. uh, that would be interesting. Kind of crazy. That is, I don't know if that was an oversight, but that's definitely a thing. And I think, I mean, Seth, I think the point here, and you really kind of nailed it, was great. Um, if you're going to be a multiplayer, if you're going to be a multicolor Planeswalker, rather, I think Bant is the best colors to be. And for all the reasons that you said, in addition to having Oath of Nyssa and just easier ways to splash, quote-unquote, for, for Tamio, it is only one blue. So that's kind of beneficial to not have to go this very heavily into a splash color. And it does really good things. I mean, even for collected company lists, like if you're giving Sylvan Advocates her plus one, that seems pretty good already. Uh, in addition to anything else. so And her minus two obviously paves the way for collected company creatures to get through. Let's hear from you, Richard. I'm going to be an alarmist and say, broken again. <laughs> Wizards have screwed it <laughs> up. So if Tamiya was monocolored, she'd be absolutely insane. And I think development was like, wow, we'll just we'll just make her bant. And that'll fix everything, right? Because she has, like, no actual, like, green or white features to herself. They're all, like, blue <laughs> abilities. Right. But the problem is they have Oath of Nyssa. The problem is green-white is the strongest color combination. The problem is Bant is already a deck. So playing Tamiyo is not that hard. The problem with Sarkin and Broken was no one wanted to play his colors. Right now, we already want to play all of these colors. And the reason why I think she's incredibly broken is her plus one... Uh, it's until your next turn, so you basically get two turns with the ability turned on, and it's when you deal just combat damage, not to a player. So, a card that is, uh, well-balanced, that has this ability, was Umazawa's Jite. Because it's just combat damage, you can't do anything about it, right? You're just gonna, you either, you either block, and they draw a card, or you take the damage, they draw a card. Combined with Sylvan Advocate, if you have two Sylvan Advocates on the board and you play Tamiyo, you could draw four cards off those before you untap, or before your next turn, right? So the, the fact that it's just combat damage and not to a player, I think, makes the plus one broken. Uh, you can just cycle her uh, in the worst case. And her minus two, uh, having two creatures locked down is, is a big deal, because if uh, you're on the play, they've only played... Uh, one or two creatures, probably just one creature by the time you played this, a two drop or a three drop, and you just lock it down, untap, get to answer those creatures, and continue on your way. So I, I think Oath of Nyssa plus this card 
uh, makes it broken. Uh, if if we didn't have Oath of Nyssa, there, there'd be a much more compelling argument that you, you couldn't cast her and she's too difficult to use, but Oath of Nyssa kind of just fixes everything, so uh, I think a lot of Tamiyos will be played in the upcoming standard. Oh, yeah, there's no question. I, I, uh, just to piggyback off of what you said, Richard, I mean, you're absolutely right. It does feel like this might have started as mono blue in development and just added more colors to try and make it harder to cast, and obviously we're already playing Bant, Green white is really good already. Splashing for just a blue, just a single blue isn't really that hard, even if you never really, if you don't go heavily into the Bant colors. And Oath of Nyssa exists. And it's just, I mean, even to go further than that, her, her abilities synergize so well with each other already. Her The minus two, if, if you play Tamiyo, minus two, that's already a tempo gain for your creatures to deal combat damage. They're still tapped on their... They don't untap. Then you get to plus one, making it even easier to draw a card. So I think it just alternating between those two is just... I mean, what more do you want? It's just insane. And then, oh, randomly I get an Omniscience and an Ancestral Recall put into the same ability. Like, it wasn't bad enough that we got Omniscience as a an ultimate. Like, in case that doesn't help you, here's three cards. So... You're absolutely right, and I, I, again, it just goes back to what I'm saying, that I think on face value, it's hard to not pick Tamiyo as the premier planeswalker of this set, which is kind of unfortunate because uh, Liliana was hyped up so much. But uh, Just to add to your point, just the fact that you can play her in double Frost Breath is actually pretty decent in itself. Just forcing through like two turns of combat damage on turns four and five could just win you the game, given how powerful creatures are. And her plus one totally amplifies the importance of Vigilance. We already have pretty good Vigilance creatures in the format. And Sylvan Advocate, uh, Archangel Avacyn, uh, Always Watching is another thing. So just just getting a double dip everywhere is just, is just crazy. So yeah, it'll be interesting. Very interesting. All right, so shifting gears to a more flavorful card. Ishkana Graph Widow. Four and a green legendary creature spider, three five, reach delirium. When it enters the battlefield, put three one two green spider creatures with reach onto the battlefield. So that's if you have delirium, and then you can pay six and a black for its activated ability. Target opponent loses one life for each spider you control. So the the long awaited legendary spider. What do you guys think? So we get a legendary werewolf and a le- was like were people even waiting for a legendary spider? Well, if you weren't waiting for it, here it is. So nope, but it's way better than the werewolf. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and way better than the werewolf. So sorry, everyone. Uh, yeah, it's I, I I had to read this card a couple times. I didn't really like it at first. Obviously, it's it seems great in EDH. You get a Golgari uh, commander, legendary spider. So for spider uh, tribal, whatever. Uh, people out there should be excited. And then, Seth, uh, I saw you tweet out that you you didn't think, like, a spider of this caliber. <laughs> like, you see spider, you're like, oh, not really constructed playable. And I kind of thought the same thing. And then I'm reading it, and I'm like, I agreed with you. I was like, this actually could be constructed viable. This is actually not that bad. Uh, and for the reasons, obviously, delirium. So that's that's a thing. We'll see if that is tough or not to get the value out of this, but three, one, two green spiders. In addition to this, 
Seems pretty good. It can block and kill Gisela. It can block and hold off Avison, or with the help of one of the one-two spiders, kill Avison. So that's good. Yeah, that's one of the reasons I really like it, uh, and why yeah. I think it could be constructed playable is if you ha- and this is assuming you have Delirium. It's not very good if you can't have Delirium fairly regularly. So right. it does something when it enters the battlefield. So even if it gets Reflector Mage or something, at least you have those tokens left behind. It yep. blocks everything. It blocks Sylvan Advocate, even when it's powered up by six lands. Blocks all the big flyers that are really hard to deal with in Standard right now. So it's a really good defensive creature, and it has, I think Willie uh, Adel tweeted me after I had mentioned it, or uh, commented and said that it reminded him of Hornet Queen, right, and then Hornet someone Queen. else said Siege Gang Commander, the spider version of Siege Gang Commander. Yeah. And those are both fairly playable cards. Like, maybe it's not quite as good as those, but I could see this being a one-of or a two-of in a Delirium-based deck for those reasons. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the, the second ability is Gravy. Uh, that could be relevant in a long, drawn-out game. And you're absolutely right. I mean, maybe it's not going to be Hornet Queen. There's not as many efficient ways to reanimate this because this is on when it enters the battlefield rather than on cast. So that is something to keep in mind uh, for everyone that hasn't that kind of missed that. So Ever After, uh, even grabbing it back with Liliana. Uh, we're going to talk about Liliana again, obviously. But there are some definite interactions with some of this car some of the other cards in the format that it's a viable reanimation target and it's it's kind of good that that's in enter the battlefield rather than on cast and yeah i'm liking it even more and it's i think it's it's pretty good it's also on curve with mind rack demon so you can mind rack demon on four this on five into ever after on six reanimating some stuff or whatever so it's on a decent place in the curve i think for green black yeah, absolutely. And again, it all falls back on Delirium. But you're getting a lot of out of, out of this card. And if something were to happen to it, like you said, if it gets Reflector Mage or if it dies, you get the spiders for your trouble and you have the chance of reanimating it and getting the trigger again. Yeah, I'm actually kind of liking this card after sitting and kind of thinking about it and reading it multiple times. I don't know about you, Richard. Uh, so I never actually thought about this card for standard, but you have me kind of convinced. I mean, it is a 5-mana 6-11, if you have Delirium. Yeah. But it also is a 5-mana do-nothing. <laughs> it's a 3-5. Uh, there, there's a lot of power at, at 5 converted mana cost in standard. So I, I don't know about standard. I don't care about standard. I'm just excited to slam this in commander. <laughs> yeah, Arachnogenesis, for sure. Spider spawning, the greatest card of all time. Plus, uh, you know, this legendary spider, it, it's just, everyone's going to get their spider deck on. Like, I, I don't know, for some reason, spiders have always been this this creature type that's always been around, but no one ever liked spiders. No one cared. No one's like, I'm going to build spider tribal. But now we have the chance. And now it could actually be good. <laughs> right? Not, not <laughs> yeah, with exactly. the 2-4 the yep. spiders. Those are garbage. But 1-2 spider tokens. <laughs> get yeah, enough of with them. reach. With reach. Mm. And uh, in standard, if you have Delirium, this is basically Lingering Souls, right? Four bodies for five mana that can block flyers. <laughs> we, we, got, we got there, Souls. Richard. We, we got there. We, <laughs> we, got did. <laughs> we did it. We got Lingering Souls for you. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I, I think I, I like the name 
something about Ish yeah. really resonates with me. It sounds weird and spidery for some reason, even though there are no <laughs> spider names. But I, I, I like this card. Yeah, yeah, I like it too. Obviously, uh, seems great for foils. They're likely to be expensive. So for people out there that want to build around it, it seems, I mean, I would. Seems awesome. And the upside is it could be decent and standard. So I think we're all on the same page. All right, let's move on to Super Mega Counterspell. We have Summary Dismissal, two blue-blue, so four converted mana costs, instant, exile all other spells, and counter all abilities. Yeah, we haven't seen something like this in a while. We we saw something that does the first part in Oath of the Gatewatch. It was like a, a, a surge, a surge one, wasn't it? Overwhelming Denial, right? Oh, I think that's the card. I forgot that was a card. <laughs> <laughs> well, that was a card, but we don't see Stifle too often, so that's interesting. And I think the big deal about this card, like you said uh, before the cast, Seth, is it deals with Emrakul, so that's good. Yeah, I mean, it stops all the Eldrazi when cast triggers. So, I mean, maybe even better than Emrakul or just as good is, like, World Breaker. It doesn't get to exile your thing. It doesn't go in the graveyard so your opponent can buy it back the next turn. So I think this has a place in standard, maybe not in main decks, but if I'm playing a, a blue controly deck, not that any of those will exist because Wizards <laughs> hates those decks, apparently, uh, this is a card I would want in my sideboard to deal with World Breakers and Emrakuls and Ula mogs and all that kind of stuff right again if if you were going to uh, attempt to do that <laughs> <laughs> yeah basically think, basically this spell counters everything uh it counters storm right it counters all of the extra spells put on the stack uh, it counters uncounterable spells like abrupt decay because it just exiles them it stifles uh, it counters on cast triggers plus the original spell so all of your aldrazi woes are gone so i actually like this card i'm surprised they put this card in the set with Emrakul. Because now you it's like the feel-bads of ramp. And you sit there, you spend the entire game ramping up, and then you play the spell, and then it just gets countered, and you're like, well, there goes my deck. I'm sorry. So they, they're making counter spells harder to use and giving you on-cast triggers to get around them. But then they're just like, whatever. Summary dismissal. We'll just get rid of those cast triggers. So maybe they, they've had enough of ramp shenanigans and they're, they're giving some cards back to blue players so but i'm really surprised it just just cleanly counters emrakul in one card cleanly counters ulamog in one card so I, I think this card will see play uh probably good enough for main deck and standard i think i think if there's a control a deck it will go in the main deck because your best counter spells at three one more is not that bad plus it has so much upside of stopping all of these aldrazi triggers and things so it card. would also be also be sweet to catch a Planeswalker Ultimate. Oh. Oh. Yeah, you're right. So that would be a pretty good thing to uh, counter as far as abilities go. In Modern, though, I don't think there's much of a chance. Like, yeah, stop Storm, but Mindbreak Trap does the same thing, and it's free if your opponent casts three or more spells. So I think that might be the, the problem in Modern. But I guess we'll see. There could be a specific matchup where you'd want one of these in your sideboard. Kind of like Counterflux or one of those, like the uncounterable counter spell. Could find a way into sideboards in Modern. Yeah, I agree. I think that's kind of where we are with that. And it's a very potent role player in that regard. Alright, so moving on to the card that was re revealed today after much hype. Liliana, The Last Hope. One black black 
three starting loyalty. Uh, plus one, up to one target creature gets minus two, minus one until your next turn. Minus two, put the top two cards of your library into your graveyard, and then you may return a creature card from your graveyard to your library. Minus seven, you get an emblem with at the beginning of your next or beginning of your end step, put X two two black zombie creature tokens onto the battlefield where X is two plus a number of zombies you control. Yeah, on the minus two, it goes back to your hand from the graveyard. Uh, yes. I think you said library, yeah. Oh, oh sorry, yep. So, yep. return no to your problem. hand. Uh, Oath of Liliana, two in a black, legendary enchantment. When Oath of Liliana enters a battlefield, each opponent sacrifices a creature. At the beginning of each end step, if a planeswalker enters the battlefield under your control this turn, put a 2-2 black zombie creature token onto the battlefield. Yeah, so Voltron has been assembled, Oath of Liliana is pretty good and we'll get to the planes in a second but so yeah just for the story sake Liliana is a part of the gate watch now begrudgingly it seems but she is part of the the gate watch three mana planes well obviously it's not Liliana the veil I think they did a good job trying to avoid that it is a three mana planeswalker so I don't want to write it off just yet because three mana planeswalkers do have a pretty good track record of being playable. I think it's okay. I think the minus two, like I talked about earlier, is something that can help out Delirium in addition to reanimating cards like Ishkanath, which is actually pretty cool in that sense. The plus one's all right. I mean, we saw the plus one of the flip Jace do minus two minus so, and people were all right with that. So turning... Sylvan Advocates into O2s, or an O2, seems important enough in Standard. And then the Ultimate will likely win the game at some point, just from the sheer amount of zombies that are going to be spewed out after a while. So I think it's okay. I think overall it's okay. It's definitely not... I'm going to be critical here. It's nothing that I would have hyped up. Like, I know Liliana is a really great character everyone loves liliana the the mtg <laughs> goldfish is codenamed liliana so uh, yeah i think it's all right but nothing like i don't think it was it's going to live up to the hype that it it, it got from just the start of uh o, or eldritch moon so that's kind of unfortunate uh yeah i think my initial reaction to this card was uh pretty negative but the more I thought about it, I think that it's a combination of things that aren't necessarily the card's fault. Like, it looks so much worse than Liliana the Veil at three-mana Black Planeswalker. Liliana's been hyped as the savior of Innistrad, <laughs> the one hope for fighting Liliana. And it just didn't... It's not an obviously awesome card when you look at it. Like, Tamio, you look at, and pretty much anyone sees that or Karn liberated or Jason mind sculptor. You look at those planeswalkers and you're like, wow, that card is so good. This one you look at and you're like, yeah, it's three mana. It's kind of efficient. It does some mm -hmm. stuff. Maybe it'll see play. So I was hoping for this big, excited reaction. And I didn't feel that when I saw Liliana that said three mana planeswalkers, as you mentioned, Chaz, are have a hugely strong track record of seeing play in standard and being decent. So, I think Liliana could still be fine, but she doesn't jump off 
the cardboard as being this amazing card, which is what I was hoping for. Yeah. Yep. Richard? So like you guys know, Liliana's my favorite planeswalker. <laughs> and I was so excited. Like, oh, Liliana's being spoiled. The last hope. She's going to kill Amrakul. Yes. And three convert, uh, three converted mana costs. Three star loyalty. I'm like, yes, here we go. And then I read the abilities. And I'm like, I don't understand this card. So I read it again. <laughs> and I'm like, I, I still don't understand the point of this card. Like, none of these abilities are even worth a card. Right? Her minus two. Usually your minus two needs to be worth a card. You know, at least... 0.75 of a card you know sacrifice a creature tap two things down this is basically like a grave robber or something <laughs> like it, it's it's no good right you can't even use it on the early turns because nothing has died <laughs> right so you're, you're actually hoping those, those two cards that you mill actually go to your graveyard and our creatures so her minus two doesn't really warrant a card and her plus one's okay it's just a stall tactic uh, it'll keep her alive against a Sylvan Advocate, but you're not going to do anything, right? They play Sylvan Advocate, you plus one, okay, they can't attack. But you have nothing in your graveyard, you could minus two and go back to two and hope you milled something, and all you've done was draw a card, right? You could have just played Tamiyo and drew potentially four cards off her plus one. And her ultimate, like, don't even get me started on this, like, <laughs> what kind of BS ultimate is this? <laughs> Make two zombies if you have nothing on the battlefield? <laughs> Like, even if you had the dream and had, like, five zombies or something, you'd only make seven zombies. It's not, what? This is not an ultimate. For four turns of plusing one and, you know, putting up with Liliana and her, she's, like, begrudgingly helping you out, right? Like, I'll give you these BS abilities. I'll help the, I'll help the Oathwatch, whatever, right? Oh, my God. So bad. That's yeah, so it's it does seem plus one to get to seven is kind of insane. Like, that's a long time, and it is a little underwhelming. It four probably will win two the game. Zombies. <laughs> yeah. How many zombies are you gonna have? Yeah. Well, you get the two. So next turn you get what four? Oh my god! <laughs> <laughs> like they they should have just said like put twenty zombies on the battlefield. All of Innistrad comes we, alive. But no, nope. we get. <laughs> it could have been put a zombie for each creature card in your graveyard to synergize with her minus two. Like nope, <laughs> right? It's just. X plus two, which X will probably be zero when you start. Can we get the fake leaked version back? Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, and I, I will say, like, I'm not trying to be totally critical. Like, it does have its uses, but really, what you said, Richard and and Seth, I, I think I have to, I can't deny, and I have to agree with is like, you look at it and you were hoping to see, like, on face value, like, wow, this is awesome just on its own it's gonna just be a great card that i can play on its own it's going to do good things you don't really like when you have a planeswalker that i guess is hyped up it's liliana everyone wants to see her everyone wants like some remnants of liliana the veil in some way uh probably weren't gonna get that but they want at least something it's like wow all right this is pretty cool too and it's like ah it's like it's all right but like you have to like play around it so much. I you just kind of wanted a planeswalker that can do something, like be okay on its own, right? Like that's kind of the point of a planeswalker. That's good in that sense, right? Like it does good things on its own. I really hope she's flip Jace, where we're we're all misevaluating her. We have no idea yeah. what's going on. <laughs> yeah, we're all gonna yeah. look dumb in a couple months when she dominates <laughs> standard. 
But I don't. I just don't see this. I'm I'm so confused. Yeah, like, what does this ring, card even do? <laughs> ring flesh or writhing flesh or whatever for plus ones. Like ah, uh, I wish it was just disfigure. That would have been at least solid. And yeah, I don't know. Like the the minus two. I don't want to disrespect grave like grave digger that much, but <laughs> grave digger is not as good as grave digger used to be. Unfortunately, I don't know. I guess for free, it's fine. I I'm also just concerned about where she fits in standard. Like yeah, right. Yeah, uh, with decks going wide with a bunch of one and two and three drops, her plus one doesn't do. Like you're gonna play it. She's gonna plus one and stop a Sylvan Advocate and then die to Tireless Tracker or something. <laughs> like there's just I can there's very few scenarios I can envision where you leave a Liliana on the battlefield for more than a turn when you play her on on turn. It's basically, uh, for her to really be good, I think her negative two, even knowing full well she's going to die the next attack, has to be good enough for your deck that you want her just for that. Three mana, mill two, get a creature back to your hand. If there's a deck, a delirium deck maybe, that wants that, I could see her being very good. But uh, I I just don't see it in the current meta. Maybe after rotation this fall, things will look different, but... She just doesn't match up very well with decks that are going wide with a bunch of efficient threats. She's basically yeah. the counter to White Weenie. Her plus yeah. one kills any creature. Yeah. So you plus one four turns in a row and kill their next four plays. And then her <laughs> minus two, their two two zombies will actually get it done against a board of two ones. So her, right. her ultimate so, zombies will yeah, actually so this is the your this is the So this is I guess we we talked about this like last uh couple of casts, like Green, white, and, and humans and all that is getting so overpowered. They're getting such great cards. Well, Liliana is actually really good. I, you, I agree with you, Richard. Is really good against humans. So there is that. Like, it is really good against humans. Kills Thalia. Kills Consul's Lieutenant. Kills, like, all their one-drops. Kills, uh, like, basically anything in the deck. I, I can't remember any of the other cards right now, but... Once always watching comes on the battlefield, though, it gets a little. <laughs> always a watching, little, uh, secure the waste, and uh, Lily's yeah, pretty sad. <laughs> yeah, once always watching and secure the waste, or just always watching in general comes out, gets a little <laughs> less good. Still kills all the one drops for sure, but uh, yeah, I mean, it's good against really, it's really good against humans. Kills I, uh, neither white orchid too, so that's good. No, it doesn't kill any of those. It's minus two, minus one. <laughs> Wow. So Thalia is <laughs> fine. No, no, yeah. It gets them down to zero, so your Tamiyo plus on them becomes Please ineffective. Please edit that out. Please edit that out. <laughs> I have uh, an exciting new card that just got spoiled as we've been podcasting. It's something that we've been waiting for. What? Yeah. Incendiary Flow. So one in a red, sorcery, three damage to a creature or player. If a creature dealt damage this way would die, you exile it instead. So we have a horrible lightning strike, but we do have a lightning strike in standard. Oh my. The, the this heavens is not lightning strike. This is sorcery <laughs> speed. This is terrible. <laughs> oh man. Still, three damage for two mana. You don't get that much anymore in uh, modern magic. I, I honestly still think we should just be playing Oath of Chandra. <laughs> right as well. <laughs> At that point. At that point, right? I mean, uh, this is what happens when you cast on a spoiler day. So, And, and it's a mythic rare. It's an uncommon. <laughs> <laughs> it's uncommon. Yeah, it is an uncommon. Uh, 
Yeah, I, I guess. Uh... Oh, I don't know. <laughs> Oath of Chandra. I'd still play Oath of Chandra, to be honest. Last spoiler here, because we're, we're running long on time, but this card is actually super interesting, so I want to talk about it. It's in case Liliana is not enough, you can deploy the Gatewatch for white, white sorcery. Look at the top seven cards of your library, put two planeswalkers from among them onto the battlefield, put the rest of the cards on the bottom of your library in a random order. Our six mana collected company for planeswalkers, kind of. What do you guys think? So, I think if you have like what 16 planeswalkers or something <laughs> crazy like that it's kind of like collected company yeah like I, 30 you gotta play 30 yeah oh you need like 30 of them <laughs> no it's i think it's like 23 to yeah 23 or something like that. yeah yeah 23 of them okay that's not terrible how many did you play in that against the odds list oh that that was well, all although that was walkers. that was all planeswalkers what was the one? Uh, you oh, ran a nihilist. Th- oh, that had uh, maybe fourteen or fifteen, somewhere in that range. Okay, so getting I up don't know. there. Yeah, it's getting up there. I don't know how many more exactly we would have to play, but uh, wait, and, well, not not how many more. Like which ones we would want to play uh, in addition to that. But and that's the other th- thing is, unlike creatures with converted mana cost three or less. Sometimes just hitting one Ugin or Karn or something on that power level would be fine. Like, you wouldn't yeah. complain too much. Oh, when yeah. with Collected Company, you really have to hit two for it to be worthwhile. With Planeswalkers, you can get away with hitting one sometimes. So I think you wouldn't quite have to play as many as you would creatures for Collected Company. That's a good point. So uh, this definitely has some EDH implications, even though Planeswalkers aren't really that great. And looking down seven is kind of awkward. So you might not even hit one unless you're playing a decent amount of them. I'm just kind of looking at it at this it's specifically standard constructed. I think it could get there. I don't know, but it's it's certainly interesting. Yeah, I don't know about in standard if you can I think you could play enough planeswalkers. I don't you know could. if that deck would be good enough. If you wanted to, you could just play like <laughs> mono oaths, the planeswalker tutor, planeswalkers, and this, and that would be your entire deck. Uh, whether that would actually work and function, I'm not sure. It, it seems cool in like the modern planeswalker deck that's kind of been circulating around with doubling season. To go back to that again, like if you can yeah. hit hit a planeswalker or two into doubling season and kind of combo off it would be sweet uh, i don't know about standard though i just i'm not sure it's worth it because the planeswalkers aren't that expensive so hitting one gideon uh isn't that mana efficient for six mana compared to hitting a karn or an ugin or some eight or nine mana planeswalker yeah this definitely seemed a lot better when ugin was still around but the good thing is, I think the outlook here is that uh, Deploy the Gatewatch sticks around for a while, so we might get a larger uh, Planeswalker like up in the 7-8 uh, mana cost range down the line, like in Kaladesh or something like that. So there is a long life of Deploy the Gatewatch to see what we get. So remember when Seth shared his concerns about the, the new Planeswalker <laughs> decks with high converted <laughs> mana costs of quote-unquote standard unplayable Planeswalkers? Yeah. Well, what if you had a six-mana card that could dump <laughs> your two eight-mana Planeswalkers into play? Hmm. 
I was just going to say that. That is <laughs> the card that breaks those Planeswalker deck Planeswalkers. Oh, my God. Uh, just real quick, uh, Oath of Iliana, probably one of the best Oaths, I think. Wait, Pretty what? strong. Seriously? What? Three mana sack, and then a and then a two two. That's pretty good. If you play a planeswalker. True. I don't know. We haven't we haven't played a three mana sack in a long time that wasn't instant speed. I think it'll be absurd in EDH when each player sacrifices a creature is really good, but a sorcery speed sack, especially when people are going wide in the format, it's gonna be a tough one. And you gotta play enough planeswalkers, and in this case, you gotta play Liliana the Last Hope. To get that zombie, so I don't, I don't know about that. <laughs> yeah, uh, how does that works? Does that work with Flipwalkers? It's supposed to. It hasn't been working on Magic Online, but <laughs> that is the idea. When it flips, it should trigger. Okay, so like if Heretical Healer flipped, it would count. But the front side doesn't count. The front side's not a planeswalker. Right, 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 right. right. Yep. Uh, so that's all right. We also have two the slaughter right now, which I think is better. No, wouldn't you rather just play two the slaughter unless you're actually playing super friends? Well, delirium, right? No, but just without without delirium, it's just sacrifice a creature. So it's the same as the or planeswalker is true, and it's an instant. So yeah. that's fine. I think like this into Gideon is all right. If you're playing a bunch of Planeswalkers, there's probably an argument for this, but if you're not playing Planeswalkers, or more than one or two Planeswalkers, I think you would just play to the Slaughter, since it's yeah. instant speed. Maybe maybe it's not second best, but it's definitely nowhere near as good as Oath of Nyssa. Uh, yes, that's definitely true. I, yeah, it's probably on par with the rest of them, but I think it might be a little better than the rest, and just slightly worse than... Oath of Gideon. Would you play a 3-mana 2-2 that had an enter the battlefield target opponent sacrifices a creature? Because this is a harder... I love Necrotal. (laughs) Necrotal can target. This is just sacrifice. And this is a harder version. You gotta follow up with the Planeswalker to get that body. Richard, you play a 3-mana 2-2 that makes them sack. Gatekeeper, come on! That is true. (laughs) That is true. (laughs) I never said it was good. Why are you asking me? You play it. (laughs) That's your legacy tech right there. Well, when people are playing Evercoles as their only creature, then I guess Oath of Liliana can be used. Fair enough, fair enough, fair enough. Oh, you got me. Yeah, see? I think that's all the spoilers we want to talk about, right? Yep. Okay, uh, so to give you a break from reading, I will do the uh, fish mail again. We'll just jump right into there. This one popped out because this had to do with something very recent. Lion's Eye Diamond was kind of really bought out in, in a way that kind of didn't make Seth too happy. And, and this does happen a lot. We've gone through this a few times, and it's just not something that's very... It just doesn't feel right, but we'll we'll talk about it in a second. All right, so I recently had the opportunity to buy LEDs at the old price, less than a full day after the spike. I ultimately declined to act, but due to my own financial considerations rather than ethical concerns, what would be the ethical implications of such a transaction be? Assuming the seller simply wasn't quite up to date on price spikes. We should actually explain the LED situation yeah, first. Yeah, okay, yeah. So, uh, Seth, you know a little bit more about like the whole situation than I do. 
so just kind of explain it real quickly. All right, so basically, an individual bought out Lion's Eye Diamond, uh, which isn't surprising. Cards get bought out. What made this situation somewhat unique is the person posted a video uh, talking about how they were in the process or had just bought out Lion's Eye Diamond. Uh, 150 copies, they said, from Star City Games and TCG Player. And then they urged all their followers to hurry up and get their copies before they were gone. Uh, if they wanted to get in on the spike and said they would make $50 per card once everything settled down or whatever. So that's kind of the context for uh, what was going on with Lion's Eye Diamond. And I, I have some thoughts on it that I want to get into. As far as the, the fish mail question, just briefly, Yep, I think it really depends on the scenario. If you're ripping off a player at your local gaming store uh, or hiding pricing data or something to get a good deal, I would have a problem with that. If you're on eBay and someone has a card listed for the old price, I... I uh, would not feel bad about that. Or if it's a, I don't know, a major vendor or something who right. just hasn't updated, I, I wouldn't feel bad about buying for the asking price. I don't think it's your responsibility to um, not buy something off eBay because someone because uh, a card is spiked and someone hasn't updated their pricing yet. I don't think that's ethically wrong. So I think it depends on the situation and uh, how you're handling it. I wouldn't want to rip feel like I was ripping someone off. So I guess that's my my take on the ethics of that question. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I I don't think there it's ethically or morally wrong to buy a card, uh, specifically like at a pre-spike price from you know a vendor or eBay or something like that. Obviously, you don't want to pay more for it, and if you're going to use it, obviously that's all the better. But even if you didn't decide to use it, you bought it, you were going to sell it later or something like that. You're right. I'm in that sense. Like it, it is not your responsibility to keep up with prices. Like if you were trading and someone asked you and you gave them the old price, well knowing it's more than that, then that kind of gets a little murkier. But I, I agree with you, Seth. In those scenarios, I, I don't think it's your responsibility, and it's not a moral or ethical concern at that point. But let's um, get into what you wanted to talk about. Okay, so as far as the situation with Lion's Eye Diamond in general, the buyout itself doesn't really bother me. I don't right. like it. I wish that we didn't have buyouts and all of that stuff, but I've come to grips with the fact that that is part of our game. It sucks mm -hmm. that it happens, especially for old cards that are in low supply. That's just something we got to deal with. The part that really offended me or bothered me in the situation and I felt like crossed a line into being uh, not ethical was how the person posted a video and encouraged others to basically get on this in on this buyout with kind of guaranteed returns is what it kind of came across as like you'll make $50 a card if you do this right now and that's just uh pretty much a textbook pump and dump scheme. Like it happens in the stock market and it's actually illegal in regulated yep. markets. You can't, you can't do that in the real world. So for me, that's the part that came across is very wrong was uh, the video aspect of it. Cause what that leads to is this person, you don't know if they're telling the truth or not, but 
theoretically, they could have bought their Lion's Eye Diamonds two months ago slowly and then not bought any for the new price point, posted this video getting their followers to buy the cards and inflate the price and then just dump their copies really quick. The price goes back down to some extent, which you can see if you look on the price chart, and they leave all these people holding the bags basically as they profit off of it. So it's just a manipulation tactic. And that's the part that really bothered me. Like, I wish we didn't have buyouts, but for me, the wrongness of the situation was the pump and dump scheme aspect of it. Absolutely. And I absolutely agree with your position, Seth, just so everyone knows this is something you and I, uh, for as long as I known you and as long as we started, you know, writing about the financial side of magic and just in general have been against that kind of behavior. And we downplay it and and we we discourage it as often as we can and we don't really like to get into that scenario and we don't even condone like we don't condone it we don't like it we kind of frown upon that and and that's something that I will continue to do so and this has nothing to do with price spikes like price prices are going to increase buyouts are going to happen and I don't think like that's going to change but something that we talked about uh, before the cast and, and what I wanted to get into is, and Richard agreed with me, is th- this just kind of all goes back to, in this particular scenario, the reserved list and what that means for the game and how those scenarios and how the reserved list kind of sets up scenarios like this. It's one thing if, Someone posts a video and they're like, I bought out all the tireless trackers from TCG Player, eBay, Star City Games, you name it. It's gone from the internet. There's always more tireless trackers, right? There's not any more Lion's Eye Diamonds. Like, There's not going to be any more that are printed. It's on the reserved list. And I think that's kind of the general underlying tone here is that it's kind of, it feels more scummy because it's on the reserved list. And that's something that I brought up time and time again. You and I get opposition from this citing capitalism. It was going to happen anyway. It was a good target. It's on the reserved list. It's Lion's Eye Diamond. It's a staple. We've heard it all, right? <laughs> so, yep. no, I mean, we really have, right? I mean, we've heard it all. But it's still, like, when it happens, it still feels bad. And, like, it's still feels like kind of like shady or scummy or however you want to name it. It's because it's like, it's, it's almost like everyone kind of knows the reserved list for what it is. The cards on there are not getting reprinted anymore. And it's like, really like this, like it doesn't make you feel like any more of a financial aficionado or something like that. To say, go buy this card on the reserved list because not only is it played, but there's no more of this card ever going to be printed again. It's like, everyone's kind of like, you know, that's not nothing new. But the unfortunate thing is people can still go do it. And then we, everyone else gets affected. So for me, this goes back to a promise that was made 10 years ago that are benefiting very few people and hurting a majority of people. In the in these days, ten years later, the game is much larger. the The implications of social media and how fast information travels for this pr- price spike or buyout to initiate and to grow and to for to have more people kind of jump in on the bandwagon 
it's just kind of degenerative and it just begs to differ. It's like, well, this is going to keep happening, especially on the reserve list. And it's even more egregious because it's on the reserve list because there's nothing anyone could do about it. Wizards can't print new copies. If someone wants an LED tomorrow or something like that or two weeks ago, yeah, it might decrease a little bit, but you're still paying a lot more than you were the, before that. So there's really no good solution other than, oh, you just got to chalk it up as another reserveless buyout because someone decided to spend five or ten grand on the rest of the remaining copies out there and profit off of everyone because it's the reserve list and the promise is still benefiting those kind of people and hurting basically 90% or 95% of the rest of the player base. I think you guys make good points. I, I think the issue is self-correcting in the sense that Legacy will just die, right? It's, it's <laughs> right. like it, no, no one will right? be able to afford the cards. Like you're not going to want to fork over a grand for LEDs. So no one's going to play the cards and eventually it becomes like vintage where some people play it, but most people just cannot afford to play it. And eventually Legacy goes away and becomes a moto-only format. And the people holding thousands of LEDs aren't able to move them because there's just not a lot of demand because no one wants to play the format because everything's too expensive. So I, I think LED is now become, you know, it will become a collector's item if this keeps up rather than just a normal card that you can actually sell and buy when you want to. And this basically means Legacy is going to die. And... I think it's happening already. Like, we, we all know it's happening. It's, you know, people will argue that, oh, Legacy is still going on. And yes, but it's not growing at the same rate as the other formats. And it's slowly going to become vintage. And this is just the first of many events. I think, like Seth said in the finance update, someone's going to go buy out the dual lands, right? And the minute someone buys out all the underground seas, that, that is the nail in Legacy's coffin, right? Like, everyone's going to dirtle around with Nick Fit, right? Like... Yeah. Yeah. So, it's, I mean, we already see this happening on Magic Online. No one plays a Rashad import deck because it's too expensive, yep. right? And this will happen slowly as more legacy staples from the reserve list get eaten up and legacy will just go away, right? And I think, I mean, that's what Wizards wants, I think, right? So I, this is going to happen. I, I don't know that they're going to step in and do something about it. Right. I guess they see this and it's like, well, this is kind of actually helping us because we don't really care about legacy anyway. And you're right. I mean, well, I wanted to ask you, Richard, just to go off of what you were saying. This is more towards you because you play Legacy. You're in that kind of setting where you know a lot of people play Legacy. When something like this happens, I mean, you've been through Legacy price spikes, right? Like Moat and all that stuff more recently, right? Well, uh, I, when I never you... needed to buy Moat, but yes. <laughs> right, 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 right. Well, when you talk to someone that, let's just say they were planning to play an LED deck or something like that, does that just... like? does the majority of legacy players just jump to another deck that's just not as demanding on their wallet? Like, what happens with that? Like, if when Moat suddenly becomes $800, does no one just go and play a Moat deck? Like, do they just move on to a, a deck that is not going to destroy their finances like that? Yes. A lot of people don't play lands because lands is too expensive. You don't want to buy that Tabernacle, right? A lot of people play Eldrazi because, like, I have a modern deck. You know, it's relatively cheap and powerful deck. I'll, I'll just play it. Right, so people will play uh, other decks, but it kind of sucks if Storm is one of those uh, unique decks. Storm and uh, you know LED Dredge and all those decks are unique decks to Legacy, and it kind of sucks that you can't play this style of deck anywhere else. And uh, those people will be hurt. They can't afford their LEDs, and it's just 
people will adapt by either not playing Legacy or playing another deck. Uh, it, it's kind of similar to, like, we don't all sit here and lament about not being able to afford a Black Lotus. It's kind of given of that Black Lotus is too expensive. It's a collector's item, and most of them are just sitting in shelves somewhere. And eventually, all these reserveless cards will become like that. And, you know, in 10, 20 years, no one will complain that you can't afford Underground Sea. It's just a given that you cannot afford it. And, you know, if you become super rich and want, you can buy a collector's one and do something with it. But for the most part, it's just a piece of magic history, I think. And I think that's where we're starting to go. And the reserve list is the first step that's, that's going to go there. I think those are really good points, Richard. Uh, so to, to go back to you, Seth, and I'm just kind of playing devil's advocate here, just so everyone kind of gets the whole scope, because we've, we've, got, we've done this song and dance plenty of times, right? Over Twitter, uh, a multitude of other people who write about finance or whoever has their two cents about it. Just so the two, like, what would you say? So everyone kind of combats you all the time with this, like, it happens anyway. Uh, this is, you know, it was a great target because it's on the reserve list and it's played. Uh, you, what, what do you really kind of, how do you go about that when people are frustrated or they, they show distemper about, well, MTG Finance is ruining magic yet again. It seems like every month, it's every other month, it's like this. Where, where do you go from there when you now have people who are on one side of the fence saying, see, look, this is happening again. Finance is killing the game. We can't afford LEDs or whatever other card. And then on the other side, you have like, oh, capitalism. It was going to happen anyway. It's the reserved list. And they're like, those are great targets for investment and this, that, and the other thing. Uh, well, for me, one easy motto to live by is if it would be illegal in the real world, you probably should think twice about doing it in the magic world. For yeah. me, this isn't really MTG finance. This is just someone that is manipulating the market, pure and simple. Absolutely. Like there's Absolutely. no there's no real connection to finance. All you're doing is. Uh, <laughs> running this blunt force market manipulation. And if you think that that's fine and you're someone that's arguing that that's acceptable, I guess I don't even know what to say with you. For me, it just hits me yeah. as wrong with my, my ethical code and how I feel about things. When I hear that, I think, well, that's wrong and people probably shouldn't do it. And I think that's the normal player reaction. I think most people... Uh, hear it that way, and I know people have arguments about capitalism and why that's right, but in all honesty, that stuff bothers me in the real world, too, when you hear of about course. people that buy out a pharmaceutical company and jack up the prices. Like, it's not not any different, and it's not any better. I just think that there are some aspects of unregulated capitalism that hurt people and are bad for people, and Absolutely. it bothers yeah. me when it happens in magic, and it bothers me when it happens in the real world. So if you support that, I don't know what to say to you because you there are legitimate arguments based on uh, the tenets of capitalism that you should grab all you can for yourself and you shouldn't care at all who you're hurting in the process. But that's not for me. I think it was Corbin, I think, that said on Twitter uh, that he could see those same arguments, but he valued community over valuing uh, making the most money possible. And I guess I kind of feel the same way. Uh, so I wish more people felt that way. And thought yeah. about the good of the game rather than what they could put in their own pocketbook by any means possible. Yeah, absolutely. And and I think that's exactly how you and I feel. I echo those sentiments. I also liked what Corbin said about that. 
and and it's just those kind of very few people it it seems like in a in a sea of naysayers or for people arguing on the other side where oh it's capitalism's going to happen anyway it's like yeah i get that but that it, it's it's also feel bad in the in real life terms like you said as well like is that really how you want to operate as a human being like it, it's cutthroat you don't care about other people like you're just about making dollar signs like that doesn't feel right for me you know and it doesn't feel right in magic because it's kind of a microcosm of the real world and it's a, it's a community like really you're gonna just buy out all these cards knowing full well it's on the reserve list there's never going to be any other reprints so you know you're you're going to m purposefully manipulate the market I, I think you said it best that, like this is beyond finance that's like exactly what it is. It's beyond finance. It's just pure market manipulation at that point. You don't care about anyone else. Like you just want to make money off them. Like that's how you operate. And I guess that you said it again very well, Seth. I don't know what to say to you if you're that's what you're about. I don't. I don't know what words I have for you or what to say to you at that point if that's what you're all about. So I guess I, we could just move on from that point. And. For what you and I do, and and I know a few select others too, and and who have more respect in the community for this, for other people that you know know us or talk to us, uh, other community members who you know have respect for us for this, what we do really is finance in the term of making value, you know, extracting value out of your hobby to kind of make it a self-sustaining thing, so you don't have to spend as much money playing the game and that's that's not just about buying stuff out this is about like we talked about uh, a few weeks ago seth like buying a card like relentless dead when you need when they're like three or four dollars when you know it could be a good enough card to be an eight dollar or nine dollar card down the line with the right support right it, it's those decisions that's finance to me it's about extracting value out of the game and and continuing to pay for your hobby not straight up degenerate market evaluate or uh, manipulation that's not what we're about and uh, for all those people that say oh i hate mtg finance you know the finance community sucks like they 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 always do this kind of thing like no we really don't and that's not essentially what we do and that's not essentially what finance writers do at least i can speak for myself and you right like that's not what we're about Okay, yeah, so it kind of it kind of rubs me the wrong way when people make broad generalizations and sweeping uh, when they down talk, you know, a whole section of the community that way when there's some legitimately out there really trying to help other people and, you know, look for those value plays and, and help them continue to play this hobby that they love so much. Yeah, and I think I probably hate it as much as anyone else does or yeah, probably exactly. more so because I got to spend time answering questions about why my budget magic deck got more expensive and why course, like MTG, right. like it's it bothers me personally on multiple levels so uh, uh I don't know I don't I don't know what else to say about it I think I've said everything that I I have to say it just bothers me and I wish it wasn't that way and it's frustrating because there's literally nothing we can do about it like the reserve list allows this, right. in, this and in this scenario yeah no matter how upset we get about it or whatever there's just nothing that can really be done yeah I, I guess the period and and we're going to move on from this that kind of the exclamation point on this is uh, really th there's like not everyone is like that. Don't when when stuff like this happens, it really doesn't behoove you to make 
broad sweeping generalizations about people, especially people that work very hard and, and provide very good content without promoting such uh, behavior like that, where it's very much market manipulation and not finance. So that's, that's not what we're about. And, and these things that happen aren't MTG finance quote, you know, per se, this is just straight up market manipulation. And that's not what we're about. All right. Well put guys. Thank you. All right, let's move on. All right, so so moving on to regular fish mail, we have at OG Magic Carp is God. I agree. Should I hold or sell a collected company with the new spoiler of Eldritch Evolution? Hold. Yeah, it doesn't change anything. I don't think. Yep. All right. At Mint Black Lotus. Ooh, I like that. Is now <laughs> a good time to pick up the Battlelands as an investment? Which one has the most long-term potential? Hmm, I think Cinderglade. Because that actually sees play in Scapeshift, right? Uh, yep, Here I like yeah. Cinderglade and Prairie Stream are my two favorites, because I think Prairie Stream would be a part of an Amiria deck if that ever took off in Tier 2 in Modern. So those would be my two, and this is a fine time to pick them up. Yeah, I like that one. Yeah, I like that one too. All right. Uh, OG Magikarp is God is double dipped. Here's the second oh, question. okay. How playable do you think the common Yu-Gi-Oh cycle is in draft granted everyone knows you draft one of the pieces what is the common Yu-Gi-Oh cycle is that the meld cards oh those are the meld cards meld cards oh um i think this i think the common cycle is very good sure yeah i think it's fine because they're playable on their own but go ahead richard yeah i think it's good i I think it's a good like you always want to signal what cards you're picking so people know what colors you are in so you don't get screwed so anytime you're able to do this with a double face card i think it's actually really good and it's not actually a disadvantage uh from the chad usmc another returning fish mailer will you be making any decks to stream that include your flash flyers package and elder deep fiend this is for mr saffron olive yeah Uh, oh so anyone doesn't know elder deep fiend is a new card from eldritch moon you can go look it up we're going to I mean, just very briefly, it has emerged. It's kind of like Vendillion Click. And yeah, you really like this card, right, Seth? I think it actually has legs. I think this is one of the best cards in the set so far. Yeah. Uh, as far as playing it with the Flash Flyer package, I'm not 100% sure. I think you want to sack things like Matter Reshaper and Reflector Mage that give you value when they enter the battlefield or when they die. So I'm not excited about sacking a Rattle Chains, for example. But I fully expect to be playing this card somewhere because it is misbind click essentially. It is very close yeah. to misbind click and standard. Uh, just a quick question for you: If you were to deck build, because I, I mean, I, I very much like the creature too. Is that like a four of card, or is more of like a two of? Because Vendillion Click was very much a four of. Uh, I think it can be a four of in the right build. Like I think it's it's right. even more powerful when you can do it multiple times in a row. You tap your opponent out next turn. You can even sack the first one to the second one to tap your opponent's lands down yeah. a second time. So I think they get better in multiples. What emerging? Um, it's emerges eight. Uh, five and two blue. Okay. All right. Yeah, you can emerge your gold knight castigators when you're about to Ooh. take thirty two damage, Seth. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I like that. I like and it's, that. It's also on curve with both Mattery Shaper and Reflector Mage and Eldrazi Sky Spawner. You play a three drop, and then you have enough mana to on turn four emerge on your opponent's upkeep, tap all their lands so you time walk them, 
untap attack with your huge uh, deep spawn. Oh, I like that. Or deep fiend, so. Yes. All right. At Balliel, I probably butchered that. I'm considering moving my Jace Vrin's Prodigy set, so play set. I will probably rebuy them for modern. Is now the best time? It's it's as good as any. Obviously, it's less good than they were a few months ago. Uh, but yeah, I think it would be. I think now is still a good time. They they definitely have a little more room to drop. All right, from at Sea Bear Glove. Hey gang, I'm looking to get back into standard. When should I buy my Thalias and Gisellas? Pre-order or wait a bit? Oh, this is you, Richard. You love Thalia. <laughs> oh, you, you shouldn't ask me because yeah. I just buy them right uh, now just yeah, to look at I, the art. But I think when, when should you actually buy them? Pre-order or should you wait? Uh, so uh, the easiest thing to do is just never pre-order. I mean, ninety <laughs> yeah, percent yeah. of the time you're going to come out ahead. So if you never pre-order, even though ten percent of the time the card will go up in price, if you just make that your rule, in the long run you save money. As far as these specific cards. I don't expect them to drop massively from where they are because I think they're going to be very good. Uh, so I don't think there's a huge difference between waiting unless you're going to wait like at least a couple months post-release towards uh, this fall. So go ahead and do whatever you think is best. But as a general rule, don't pre-order. Yeah. All right. From at Jive, opening up any Pokemon pack will include a redemption code to get a free pack on Moto or on Pokemon. Pokemon. Moto. Oh, okay. <laughs> Should Wizards also do the same? Absolutely. Uh, they would have to change the entire system. It would be cool, but they literally can't do that right now with Redemption. So it would take major systemic changes for that to ever happen. Yeah, just to clarify, that's because you can redeem the phys- uh, the Moto cards for physical cards. So you'd actually be printing like double the packs. Uh, so you're getting two packs for one. But I, I think they should tie together their products somehow. But they'd have to make yes. some changes. Uh, at Semper Nemo, why does R&D make me want to quit Magic? <laughs> Feature combat only seems like they want to force control players out. I was just uh, I, asking myself this question. <laughs> <laughs> Every day I wake up and ask. Uh, it, it, does, it, it does feel very creature-centered and control is kind of... Still there, but not nearly as powerful as it one as it as it usually is or could be. I think that's just because it really appeals to a more wider range of players. As as that as as that is painful to say, it, it, I think it is true. Yeah, I think control players are like the Sith. You just gotta sit around and wait, <laughs> and then once in a while you come out and unleash carnage, and then wizards. Uh, puts it back away and you wait around waiting for your master return and that's kind of where we are you know we, we had our treasure crews and dig through time come out <laughs> in modern and, and kind of just screw everything up but now they've uh they force everything back with big creatures with spells stapled on them the good news is think about this creatures are like spells that come with a creature on them oh yeah yeah <laughs> yeah yeah it, it is uh, it does go through phases, so control is horrible right now, but I'm very confident that we will have another standard where control is a top-tier deck uh, before super long, because that's that's just how it goes in standard. We had Sphinx's Revelation, yeah. control was very good then. We'll have another time like that at some point in the future. Yeah, constantly destroying and rebuilding the Death Star. 
Yeah. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> From Troy W. Uh, on Moto, I want to practice the Just Kind Hiri deck. What's the cheapest way to get cards? Uh, this is you guys. I mean, you just—you uh, basically just got to buy them from a bot. Uh, use <laughs> right. Card Hoarder, MTGO Traders, one of the big bots. The good news is, think of it as renting the cards because you can sell them back and not lose a ton of money. Maybe you lose 20% of your investment. But there's not really any way around just putting down that initial investment and buying the deck. All right. From Scott O, I have a foil Sigarda and a foil Behold the Beyond in my Moto account. I know that foiled mythics can sometimes command a premium for set redemption. When should I trade these in? They're currently five ticks each. I would either just go ahead and trade them or wait all the way until redemption is ending for those sets, which is going to be quite a while. They could tick up a little bit in the meantime, but I wouldn't expect huge gains for at least a year, possibly even more than that. All right. From Jonas F., another Pokemon fan. Attempting to play Moto, and I was shocked how bad it was. Just tried Pokemon Online, and I was surprised how good it was. Uh, have you guys tried it? It would at least give you something to compare to see how well a paper game can really be online. Uh, because Hearthstone is totally digital. I was yes. curious if you thought it would be good for Wizards to do the same thing. I have not played Pokemon Online. And if if it is that good, maybe I'll just try it out just to get a comparison. But... I do agree. I think there's a lot of improvements MTGO can make, uh, as as well as the gentlemen uh, doing the cast here, Richard and Seth, uh, always are looking for improvements in, in that regard. So I, I think we're all on the same page that MTGO definitely needs to kind of get with the times. I've never played Pokemon, period, and don't really have any interest okay. in playing it. <laughs> but you do... From time to time, by collections. Oh, that was Yu-Gi-Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That... Oh, okay. Uh, but yeah, I, I haven't played Pokemon Online either. But I can imagine almost anything will be better than the Moto interface. <laughs> so yes, <laughs> they they should fix it. Uh, <laughs> Taylor G, I know the basics of most common decks, but have barely played any of them. I want to have a small shot at winning a trial at GP Montreal in a small town in Vermont, but I have two different decks with no knowledge of them. Boggles and Mono Blue Tron. Uh, which deck do you think is better going into the blind? Boggles. Uh, yeah, I would probably play Boggles as, uh, as well, uh, just because yeah. a lot of decks can't deal with it. So regardless yeah. of the meta, like... <laughs> It just kind of does its thing, and a lot of times its thing works out well enough to win. Yeah, and, and I want to say it's easy, but it's easier to pick up than Tron, where there's really importance in sequencing. Boggles, there's still obviously important decisions that you need to make, but it's it the, the general premise is building up a giant Voltron. Like, there's, there's no decisions in Boggles. <laughs> you just put your enchantments on your slippery Boggle, and that's, uh, that's I, I was going to make a note that Seth actually said something positive <laughs> about Boggles, but he, he quickly <laughs> remedied the situation. <laughs> yeah, when you're confused, just be aggressive, right? Yeah, so if that, you don't that's... know what's going on, just play the more aggressive deck, so I would also go with Boggles. Uh, last question, Ben Y. I'm interested in playing standard GPs, but I do not maintain a standard collection. Prioritizing minimization of the loss of value. I'd like to hear your thoughts of buying decks for events, selling them after, and trying to lose as little money as possible. 
The good news is, is standard has been the cheapest it's been in quite some time. So in that regard, building a deck won't be that bad. I don't think you're going to, like, you're going to lose a good amount selling it back right after the tournament. But uh, if anything, sleeving up like mono white humans is not that expensive, and you'll probably still get a decent amount in return. So realistically, it might only cost you like uh, you might get like a thirty dollar discount on humans or something like that. And. Uh, there's also a service now called Spare Deck. I've never actually used it myself, but it is quite, quite literally a deck rental service. And I have heard uh, reviews from a couple of people saying they've used it and it works well. So that would be something to look into as well. You play a small price for the cards, uh, keep them for a certain amount of time, mail them back in. And I would assume that that would be cheaper than actually buying and then like rebuy listing and much less of a hassle. So spare yeah. deck, uh, I can't vouch for it personally, but it's at least worth looking into in your situation. Uh, the cheapest way is to make friends. Uh, if you if your immediate circle doesn't have the deck you want to play, just random people at FNM, right? Just ask to borrow their deck and give them one of your decks as collateral. And you know, as long as you're a regular there, I'm sure people will be fine with it. And uh, that's the easiest way, just borrowing decks from friends or other people at your local gaming store. Uh, you don't have to buy or sell anything in that case, so that would be the easiest, easiest. Yeah, I, I think that's a really good suggestion, uh, Richard. And just to piggyback off that, the closer you are to finishing a deck, the more likely someone will just lend you specific cards rather than a whole deck. Like if you know you're if you're a regular at your LGS and you're like, hey, can I borrow for Thalia's Lieutenant or something like that for a GP or something like that? They would most likely help you out in that regard. So if you if you really have connections there, uh, it gets easier as you build the deck and are finishing it rather than like try to do the whole thing. It might be easier. All right. That was all of the fish mail. Oh, that was a lot. Really good questions. Thanks for everyone for sending them in via email, via the hashtag. So if you want to use the hashtag, that's the best way to do it. Hashtag MTG Fishmail. I think that's everything, gentlemen. Spoilers, fishmail, LED buyouts, the whole <laughs> everything in between. Uh, so thanks for joining us on 4th of July. Uh, for those of you that are celebrating it, enjoy it. I think that's going to be us signing out for this uh, week.